The Koi Gig Pod. I wouldn't care if Megan Campbell didn't have hamstrings left. If yeah. she just stood on the sideline, she has to play. And subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances with just lack that intensity. Boom. Where do we go? We will start, Jer, with Liverpool. Uh, in the red, once again, it's either red or green or red or green for Liverpool every second week at a... Uh, Fully deserved to be back in the red this week, beaten by Nottingham Forest, and it does feel as though that victory against Manchester City was something of a one-off, that this was Liverpool raging against the dying of the light, that they managed to get back to their full level of intensity, but it's just not going to be there on a weekly basis, and it really is going to put their Champions League hopes in pearl when you look at what Newcastle are doing and you look at the amount of contenders that are there the lack of consistency like we've had everything from Liverpool over the last week we've had the unbelievably good against Manchester City unbelievably bad and then they sort of scraped and win against West Ham in the middle the second I see a Liverpool team with Elliot Carvalho and Jones I'm concerned did he was he forced to do that or was but this he is this is the problem that again Liverpool have so many injuries and he's obviously trying to rotate uh, the team and keep Jordan Henderson fit. Like Henderson obviously can't play. Seems maybe even uh, two games in a week at this stage. Whatever injury. Is he trying to mind it for the World Cup? No. I don't know. He ain't doing that. But like, I think it's as much as they're all very talented players, you wonder have they fully got that Liverpool mindset that's been there from Henderson and from Fabinho and from Vinaldum before that as to how hard you have to work. Like We're talking about a 19, a 20 and a 21-year-old in key roles. Now, they should be good enough. They should be good enough to go and beat uh, a Nottingham Forest who haven't won since back in August. But is the work rate there from the three of them? Like Joe Gomez probably sums up a lot of Liverpool's problems. You can see why Joe Gomez hasn't kicked on to the next gear. A game like Manchester City where you've no choice but to concentrate like your life depends on it because you're going up against Erling Haaland and he's all in on it. Like doesn't put a foot wrong. <coughs> then he just drops off lightly. It's Nottingham Forest away. It'll be fine. Not quite at it, and it just all falls apart. And yeah, Liverpool had a lot of possession. Yeah, they created uh, a lot of chances, but I, you know, I don't think it was a massive shock that Nottingham Forest got the goal when they did. And it feels as though this is going to be Liverpool all season. It's just can they get enough of that good stuff that we saw against Manchester City? Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. I think there's a problem with your microphone there as well, so we might uh, try and get you hooked up to a new one. So Liverpool are in the red following their performance. Okay, it's Nottingham Forest. We'll talk with Gareth Roberts in a bit more detail about this later on. But if you're a Liverpool fan, what, what, like what? Just tell us. Uh, you can get in the comments. You can get busy at Off the Ball AM on Twitter either. Uh, also, in the red this morning are Leeds. And um, traditionally, what happens is we put a team in the red, and then at ten past ten after we're off air this morning, the manager gets sacked. Are they at that stage where Jesse Marsh is actually going to get sacked today? Or have they gone so far into the whole Jesse Marsh revolution and the fact that they're kind of lining up the San Francisco 49ers ownership to buy the club outright at some point over the next 18 months? Do they need an American to keep that of interest? Somebody who can, you know, schmooze 
and make that whole process work. I don't know, Nathan, you might be back. Good, good film, good film there, Chair. Uh, well done. Uh, yeah, no get, wins in eight now for Leeds, and it really does feel like it's it's up for uh, Jesse Marsh. You can't really be losing at home to Fulham in the manner that they did yesterday. It doesn't quite seem set on what his best team is. A lot of changes over the last few matches. You know, I commented on their game against Palace that only last week, and they're one 0 up. They have chances. And Patrick Bamford's missed a couple of big, big chances in it's the last few game. games. He's just coming back uh, from, from that long-term injury. Uh, missed a one-on-one to put them 2-0 up against Palace when they were totally dominant in the first half an hour of that game and they end up losing it. Obviously, misses the penalty. You know, Has that bizarre dive against Arsenal as well where you're, you know, is this, this Patrick Bamford is a sort of inner frustration. And it's, it's, there has to be a transformation of a team. Like Bielsa's side, and you know, there's a lot of comparisons in the papers of the run of form that got Bielsa sacked, and uh, Jesse Marsh's run of form is on a par, if not slightly worse right now, so should he be sacked as well? But Bielsa's team, you sort of knew exactly what it was going to be, and so many of those key players are either not there or have lost form. So Luke Ayling came back in yesterday, but uh, you know, some of us thought he was maybe the best right back in the Premier League a couple of years ago. He hasn't been anywhere near that of late. Uh, Stuart Dallas, you remember, picked up a real horror injury probably six, nine months ago at this stage. You know, he was a massive player for them. And they sold their best two players in Calvin Phillips and Rafinha. And the players who've come in haven't been of the same calibre, certainly not yet. Like Mark Roca, I think, has looked decent in the middle of midfield coming in from Bayern Munich. Brendan Aronson has had moments, but Leeds fans seem to be incredibly frustrated with him. He's quite an exciting player, but there's not always the finished product. And they've sort of been reliant on Rodrigo, rolling back the years a bit, and just about getting them enough goals. Uh, but there is the problem as well. Much like I think Stephen Gerrard at Aston Villa, were Leeds fans ever fully convinced by Jesse Marsh? I don't think they were. Um, but he might be good. Uh, it, it's very early, isn't it? Like, are there not some signs that that team is playing high intensity, high energy, and they're just like... So the difference between Fulham, Fulham are in seventh, and Leeds are 18th and there's nine points in the difference at this stage, which obviously is quite a significant amount, given there's only nine games gone. But, like, that's, you know, two wins closes that gap, and Spurs, as we were talking about off-air, have lost two games in a row. So, like, some of these teams, like Forrest, are making the decision that you're you're our guy, if we go down, you're going to bring us back up. And I think they're going to be rewarded for that in the long run. Maybe Leeds can't afford to go down, and maybe that's the whole point, is that they need somebody... Maybe they end up turning to a Sean Dyche figure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think any of these teams can afford to go down at this stage. And you're right. Like Fulham now are up to seventh. They get a couple of wins. And I do think the way that the Premier League is set up this season, where there's so many midweek matches, sort of changes the dynamic because things happen so quickly that you're losing three games in the space of six, seven days. And the pressure that's going to come on is intense. So suddenly you find yourself dropping five, six places. Like one win for Leeds in any of those. And they're up to... 14th, they're on 12 points and they're well, within a victory of Liverpool in 8th, but they haven't been able to get any of them and I think that's the problem that they, you know, they've had that one big victory against Chelsea and since then nothing has really happened, and you're right, they do play with a, play with a good intensity but we're pretty much a third of the way into the season and it's probably a make your decision now you know, a lot of the teams seem to be looking actually make the decision before the World Cup break so you get a couple of weeks with absolutely everybody before the World Cup starts and then you get the full month of the World Cup to really work with everybody who's left behind the um, YouTube user Confidence Wellness 
not much uh, wellness going on here. Marsh has to go, but the board won't get rid of him until after Liverpool. No plan, no direction. Bielsa made good players better. Marsh is a nice guy, but tactically out of his depth. I don't know. Maybe I... I, 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 and I can I see how they... Leeds fans will say this, but I think there's a point there of the lack of full appreciation of what Marcelo Bielsa managed to achieve with that group of players as you went through them. In the hierarchy above him. Like, I don't no, know. Like, that team that played so brilliantly in their first season in the Premier League, like, it was not a team full of superstars at all. He had made almost all of those players individually better, got the absolute best out of them. Colin Watson out, does Bielsa still live in Yorkshire? Surely he'd return. Does he still live in his little flat? Does he? I'd say he must be moving. Like, Do you think Bielsa has like a massive mansion in London that he spends four days a week, but then he flies back up, gets a helicopter up to... To Leeds and make sure he goes into Sainsbury so he looks like the you know down to earth this is our guy uh, surely he lives on the Pacific somewhere the rest of the year like in a little cabana drinking rum that's what I would do if I was like a multi-millionaire football manager that's what I'd do anyways uh, Arbo the Liverpool owners need to spend big in the next two transfer windows to get ready for next season it's stale big time Trent Alexander-Arnold is shocking and is being targeted Gomez is a sleeping bag Milner is great but is 62 uh, Liverpool could be saved by the World Cup says Owen McDermott only three Premier League games left then Klopp can sort this out and bring some midfielders in in January City will win the league and then two to six could be any order and then Alan Pembroke says Conte and Spurs definitely in the red how they manage to avoid the red I will never know uh, very bad results last week system starting to show its weaknesses um, it was. I was listening to a good bit of you and then flicking onto the TV uh, for the commentary on the Newcastle game Jamie Carragher saying uh, uh, nobody was talking about Newcastle for Champions League I was like Jamie where have you been all my life this show we literally they're going to finish above Man United I said it at the end of last season laughed out of the room by the Man United fans I think they could finish in the Champions League spot. They should be aiming for the Champions League. No, not this season. They've got to build gradually. Aim for like seventh or eighth, you know. Don't be getting ideas. They've only spent 200 million. They should absolutely be looking at the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I think they are. And as I said, that's why it's quite perilous for Liverpool that you can't afford to slip up because there's seven teams uh, trying to get in there. Yeah, Tottenham avoid the red just because there was two teams worse than them uh, this weekend. And it wouldn't even be Tottenham, I think. Like, it's Hugo Lloris. Who ends up in the red? You were a bit harsh, I thought. Why? Because it did look like he was fouled. Are you allowed to body check lads now? He didn't body check them. They just <laughs> ran into each other. No, it was like it was like two uh, douchebag high school American footballers celebrating. <laughs> Chest bump. So, That's what so, happens. so wait a second. So as we know, what happened was Callum Wilson stayed in his feet, turns around, lovely finish, dinks it over, back at net. If Callum Wilson goes to ground, is it a free kick and a red card? Um. No, but who had possession? Who had possession of the ball? But he had lost possession. Lloris didn't have possession. It's not like Lloris. I think if Lloris had managed to just volley that forward and then clattered into him, nobody even thinks about this again. Aye, but I, because Lloris miscontrols the ball, it does seem they just run into each other. Uh, Calvert Lewin also had like a nice push when he was going past the guy, and there was another goal as well over the weekend where somebody just <laughs> swatted somebody aside. I think there was a double double hand push. I guess the rules are the rules and everybody understands that we're letting a lot more go. But it did look to me like proper body check. Still, I thought great finish. And then the goal after that, um, the youngest looking 27-year-old in the Premier League with an absolutely sensational goal. Miguel Almiron. Well, it was terrible defending. Look, again, I think because there's so many games so quickly, you look at Tottenham, they should be in the red. They're third in the table. 
like that's where that's where Tottenham should be. That should be the height of their ambitions for this season. If they somehow finish third in the table, it'll be a very good year. But this is Antonio Conte. This is what you get. We saw it last season. We saw it at Chelsea. You get these runs where they don't create a huge amount. Like they're at home yesterday and they're playing like the away side. Like it's all about counter-attacking football. And they created a lot of chances. They should have been in front before Newcastle got the goal. Kane had chances. Son had chances. They should have scored. But in the second half, when they have possession and they're pushing. They've no creativity, and the loss of Kulusevski is enormous. Arguably more important for Spurs right now than Harry Kane is, because he's the one who gets the ball to Harry Kane and Hyung min Son. Like Son, aside from the couple of opportunities on the counter, was very, very quiet again yesterday. No Richarlison either. Like, Oliver Skip in midfield. Like, Oliver Skip's not good enough if you want to be challenging for titles. I know it's his first start of the season. Uh, Bittaker's grand. Hoiberg wasn't there yesterday, but again, he's steady. Basuma's steady. But that's what Conte wants, and he'll grind out enough results over the season that they'll probably finish inside the top four. But if they'd won these two games against United Newcastle, they're top of the league right now. Basuma was supposed to be better than this, though, right? Like, that was a big money signing, much coveted. Basuma was supposed to be at the Tielemans level where he was going to be able to come in and have a big influence, but he hasn't. They, like, they oh, barely he's been slow to stars. get him in there as well. He's yeah. been slow to get him in there, and he was the one who sort of played at the base of the three yesterday and allowed Skip to get forward a, a little bit more, and he was fine. Maybe he grows into the role. I, I wouldn't be panicking if you were a Tottenham supporter. Like well, it's, it's going okay. Maybe just another season of Champions League qualification is considered building on the foundations, and then you are able to attract better talent next season. And that this isn't... like They're not going to win the league, right? Because <clears throat> we expect Man City to win the league. <clears throat> so after that then, just making sure that you do finish in the top four probably is... The type of situation that will keep Conte interested, that will keep but him... that's the other worry, isn't it? Like, that this could implode with Conte at any second. Well, like, there's some big games coming up. We to touch Liverpool, Leeds at Anfield next Saturday. Liverpool go to Tottenham the week after that. OK, but it is still a big enough job that if, if Conte decides, I've had a fit of peak, that actually they're back at the level now where you're going to be able to get a world-class manager. Potch. Uh, maybe. Uh, unlikely, but maybe. Um, uh, what about Newcastle? Are they going to get any credit? I think they'll get lots of credit. Like, defensively, they are exceptional. Now, it's funny, the criticism of Trent Alexander-Arnold, which I think we'd all agree, uh, defensively, you know, Keith Tracy was making the point, Kieran Trippier, like, if that's Trent Alexander-Arnold getting spun the way that Trippier did by Harry Kane yesterday, he's getting absolutely hammered. Uh, but generally, at the back, like, they have the best defensive record in the Premier League, and whatever Tottenham threw at them in the last half an hour, they dealt with very easily. Remember, they're missing Isaac and Sam Maximan yesterday. Uh, to come back in, probably not till after the World Cup in Isaac's uh, case, but will they go and invest then in January as well and really kick on You'd and say get there a season ahead of plan, possibly, and get into the Champions League? You would think so. One, one point, uh, Michael McCarthy in studio last week was making the case that every time you talk about Newcastle, you have to point out the fact that they spent all this money and it's basically a cheat code and, like, you know, Eddie Howe getting praise and I don't want to be he's probably sitting listening to this going well that's not exactly what I said but I do think Eddie Howe's doing a really good job and I think that like loads of other clubs have spent loads of money Aston Villa have spent loads of money Manchester United have spent loads of money and they don't have as cohesive an identity as Eddie Howe has managed to get from this team and even missing those players that you're talking about they still play to the same plan and the same pattern it did strike me it did strike me that there's a world in which Eddie Howe keeps going the way he's going the World Cup goes a certain way and then Eddie Howe skips out of the old blood money Saudi Arabia situation takes the England job and then the jo- the choice of super clubs for the rest of his career is his after however badly or well that England job goes. Yeah, interesting theory. Um, 
does he feel that he needs to run away from the blood money? There's been no signs of it so far. Well, you're not going to you're not going to say it publicly, are you? <laughs> I'm having doubts about this. Like, oh, I'm not sure. We've just signed this world class young striker. I, I feel really guilty I'm about it. It's true. Um, yeah, I think you're right. As I say, they've built it on a very solid defence. And there's players there that he's made a lot better. Like Joe Linton has continued uh, his revival under Eddie Howe. Like Sean Longstaff, remember when he was been linked with the move to Manchester United and then yeah. he just disappeared off the radar. Yeah. You know, he's playing every week in the middle of midfield. Like Almiron. Like Almiron now, as you say, like he looks like he's about 18. Uh, six goals already this season. Totally revived. 15 in his total career, like in a gazillion games for Newcastle yeah. over the last three or four seasons. And all working unbelievably hard. And then that bit of quality as well, like Bruno Gramares is one of those, if Newcastle weren't the current Newcastle, uh, you'd be saying, is most definitely going to a team in the top four. But maybe he doesn't need to do that now. One last question. What the hell's going on with Matt Doherty? Like, oh, I'm not going to pick Doherty if I want to... And if so, you didn't pick him. Uh, Emerson plays, doesn't play very well. I thought Emerson was all right. Bit stupid at the end when they're like chasing the game and he's like committing bad fouls. But anyway, OK. Um, Doherty comes on when he's chasing the game. He's the cavalry. You're like, well, that's interesting. Is there a hope here he might be able to... I wasn't surprised when I saw the team that uh, Emerson Royale was straight back in. Like, Conte has sort of nailed his colours to the mast here, that he's his boy. He has. Uh, Matt has probably done enough to, as you say, get on the pitch earlier than the 88th minute. And again, there's they're playing Champions League on Wednesday night. Maybe he's done enough that he can be part of more of a rotation and get every second game. Uh, but it does feel as though, unless Emerson Royale's form falls off a cliff, that Matt Doherty's going to be stuck in that, that bench role. Uh, or maybe he can get a move uh, Super Ken 354 says I don't think Newcastle should get any credit lads Saudi Arabia FC with their hypocrite of a manager should get zero credit I understand that viewpoint <clears throat> I do understand that viewpoint I do think that um, Eddie Howe is a good football manager uh, these two things are true you know um, they do have the ability to spend more money they've spent more money than most teams in that short period of time but he has managed to make that money be well spent and yes what Saudi Arabia is doing with their sports washing campaign is fairly straightforward. Many other countries are doing the same thing too. So, let's move on. In the Amber, well, we're going to hear from Amber Barrett hey. in a moment. Hey, see what we did there. Uh, Republic of Ireland's World Cup draw, bright and early Saturday morning. Uh, from a purely footballing point of view, it's a very difficult draw. Uh, but from a supporter point of view, and I think from a generating interest and really capitalising on the buzz that's there, it's a very good draw. So, Australia... Opening day of the tournament uh, in Sydney. Going to be a sellout crowd of over 40,000. There's a lot of travel. Head over to Perth then. Get the old four-hour flight to take on Canada, uh, who are one of the best teams in the world. And then Nigeria, who are the top fourth-seeded team, who've been at every World Cup, the best of the African nations, uh, all the way back to take them on in Brisbane. The kickoff times have just been confirmed in the last few minutes. So all the games are going to be 8 p.m. local time, uh, which, again, I think is a really good thing. It means all the games will be sort of mid-morning. Irish time because there was a concern and I said there's you know, there is two sides to this there's the pure footballing side but there's also what it can mean for the game in this country uh, that the games will be on at five o'clock in the morning and it'd be very difficult to for people to watch them or to create the uh, energy that they want but I think this is sort of perfect they'll all be nice times for those of us who are stuck at home uh, but also they're all in good cities for a massive Irish supporter. saw Louise Quinn saying that aside from Australia and New Zealand she'd be fairly confident that Ireland will have the next biggest supporter base it'll be tough to get tickets I suspect for the opening night of the tournament uh, against Australia remember Ireland beat Australia uh, a year ago which sort of started the revival yeah. uh, was a friendly and Australia are going to be going into that off the back of a lot of friendlies because they qualify automatically 
And uh, we can hear from Amber Barrett, but one of the one of the key things for Ireland is like they're set up for tournament football. It feels because they're so bloody difficult to play against. Like they know how to win games one nil. They know how to eke out a result, which in the group stages of a tournament, uh, when you're going in as massive underdogs, you're going to say Euro 2012 here. Yeah, I can I can see it in your face. Uh, I think we'll stand to them. You want to hear from Amber Barrett? Been, uh, doing the permutations over the last few days of the best possible group the most difficult possible group. Uh, this probably veers more towards the most difficult sides. Have you, as players, been doing that? Have you been, like, what was, what was, what did you want from this draw? Was it, was it just being in Australia where you know you'd have a big Irish support? Was it test yourself against the very best right from the group stage? Or was there a hope that actually maybe, you know, on paper it would be more appealing? Though, as you say, you've already beaten Australia uh, very recently. Uh, and I'd imagine competence levels are incredibly high. So, so what, what were you thinking before the draw and has that changed since? Yeah, I think just what you've said, like, I, I think, you know, when when we were all looking at the, you know, the pot one and like, I think regardless of what group you were going to be in, looking at any of the top, the pot one seeds, I think you were going to have a difficult game. You were, you know, literally the best teams available in the world were in it. And I don't think that, again, as I said earlier, I don't think we were looking at it being like, oh, Jesus, you know, I hope we avoid this one or I hope we avoid that one. Um Honestly, like it's not. I'm not just saying this, but there is just the sense with this team as we're just so bloody happy to be there. You know, it didn't. It doesn't matter who we have. It didn't matter who we have. You know, who we had or who we avoided or what it will mean for. You know, if we get out of the group, what does it mean? Or if we don't get out of the group, what does it mean? Like, it's not about that. I think you know we've spent such a long period of time. You know, this group of players, but also the players before us, have been waiting for this moment to get ourselves to this to be playing against the best teams in the world and absolutely showcasing ourselves and showcasing our qualities and capabilities. And I think, you know, I definitely think a lot of teams would have been saying that they didn't want to play Ireland, you know, and I think that's one thing that we'll definitely be carrying through with this next year. We won't, we won't give any team an easy game anyway, that's guaranteed. So it's not, um, it's not that uh, we're just going there to make up the numbers. It's uh, we're going there with a sense of freedom that we're now here to express ourselves. That's what I'm taking from that. Yeah. I think there's a huge amount of confidence in the squad uh, that, they can go and play against these top-class opposition. You know, the draw against Sweden, uh, beating Finland twice, beating Australia in the friendly. It'll be interesting to see what sort of games they go for between now and the World Cup. There's still uh, quite a bit of speculation about a potential friendly against England. Between now and then, it won't be next month. Vera Powell was answering a lot of questions about logistics and finances. And uh, obviously, it's back in the front pages again um, about uh, what's gone on in the FAI in previous years. And more will come out, it seems. But the perilous state of the FAI's finances uh, affecting what they might want to do next month. So there is a gap for a friendly next month. It does look as though Ireland will play a friendly. But Vera Powell basically made a deal back in the summer and said, uh, we'll worry about the November thing when it comes around. I want all that money for that camp. I want to go to Turkey for a training camp ahead of the game against Georgia. That obviously worked brilliantly. They've qualified. And you really hope that the FAI and those around uh, Irish football find the money for whatever they need. Like, God almighty, this... But if we ever need reminding of uh, what's gone wrong in the FAI, this is another uh, case in point that we're talking about money and have they got all the resources necessary to prepare for a World Cup final. So hopefully they get that match uh, next month at home, probably in Cork if it is, uh, because Tala's going to be redeveloped. And then it'd be brilliant if they got a... Viva Stadium against England just before they head off. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Uh, we're going to speak with Cathy McNamee a bit more about that uh, a little bit later on. So into the green for us. 
Uh, into the green, Irish boxing. Uh, spoke about this on Thursday night as to what could happen. Ireland's most successful ever European Championships. Seven medals, uh, three gold, two silver and two bronze. So gold for Kelly Harrington, Amy Broadhurst and Aoife O'Rourke. Caitlin Fryers and Christina Desmond uh, took the silver medals on Saturday. So uh, Zorantia, again, just an insane achievement. The most successful team at the finals. Uh, Kelly Harrington completes the hat-trick. Olympic champion, world champion, European champion. And the depth that is there. Like we think back to we're, what, a decade on from Katie Taylor in London at the Olympics for Irish women's boxing to have this amount of contenders just over 18 months out from an Olympics is incredibly exciting. A little bit of sizzle from Kelly Harrington's book as well over the course of the weekend where she was critical of Pete Taylor, said that uh, he would have blocked her from sparring against uh, Katie Taylor when they were uh, in the amateur ranks together. Uh, Pete Taylor denied that in the paper, saying if she wanted to spar, she could have sparred her. But um, So... You know, uh, and then also uh, she was talking about Bernard Dunn being allowed to leave as well. So all's not well within Irish boxing, and yet at the same time, Zorantia manages to stick results like this. You're kind of going, that guy is pretty good. He seems pretty, pretty, pretty good. Well, that's the most remarkable side of this. Like boxing, amateur boxing at every level right now, from domestically to internationally, seems to be an absolute crisis. Yet Ireland continually turn up at major championships and delivers. And uh, Zoranti is obviously very good at staying out of the politics of it and just getting on with his job. And it's incredibly exciting to see what these fighters can do now over the next 18 months. How many of them will end up going to the Olympics? Obviously, there's not as many weight classes, which is a real shame on the women's side of it. Kelly Harrington and Amy Broadhurst, what happens there will be fascinating because they're both in the same weight division like do we have a box off between the two of them for a place in the olympics with kevin byrne on thursday night felt it would be very difficult for one of them to change their weight class for the olympics as amy broadhurst had done for the european championship so like that is a plot line uh, that could develop and again if irish amateur boxing was in a great place like how you could hype that over the next year and build it and build it and build interest levels but that probably won't happen all right uh finally in the green shamrock rovers Yes, uh, tonight could be the night for Shamrock Rovers to complete the three in a row. Uh, they beat St. Pat's 4-1 on Friday night out in Tala. Came from behind, a uh, convincing victory, and that coupled with the fact that Derry ended up dropping points. Just a draw at home against Shelburne means, basically, to put it simple, uh, Derry have to win their last three games and Shamrock Rovers have to lose their last two games for Derry to win the league. Uh, if Derry drop points tonight against Sligo, away against Sligo, it's all over. Shamrock Rovers are champions. Uh, Stephen Bradley himself would admit he'd prefer it. It's next Sunday night. Uh, so Derry go to Tala to take on Shamrock Rovers next Sunday night. And I remember looking at the fixtures right at the start of the season thinking, oh, wouldn't it be brilliant if this was the grand finale, Rovers' last home game of the season. There's still something to fight for. Uh, and it may still come down to that if Derry win tonight. Uh, but again, Rovers just have so much depth, so much quality. They're under a bit of pressure early on. Concede a very early goal. Saw them scoring the last minute against Shelburne in their last home game. Uh, this time it was a bit more comfortable. A couple of penalty kicks in there as well. But their home form has been the difference this year. They haven't been beaten at home all season. They've only dropped points in two matches. Uh, whereas Derry really struggled at home this season. And it looks as though that will be the difference at the end of the season. Yeah, the atmosphere looked good. That was, I presume, you who was putting that up on our social. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was electric. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of pyro. Uh, as there seems to be in Tala, but there was, I think, uh, is pyro, Pats, is pyro not good? Should we not just decide that, like, here's the pyro section and you're all allowed to have pyro in there? Well, I guess it's good until it lands right beside you or, you know, smacks you in the back of the head or something like that. But don't throw it. That 
what's the point of it? People are always throwing it. So, uh, Don't be throwing it. Yeah, Pat said it's, I think, over 1,100 there. So, you know, it was full house. And they've been, Rovers has all been getting almost 7,000 for all the Friday night games. Yeah. And they didn't have as many because of the European run. Well, I mean, um, just, uh, you, you mentioned the redevelopment of Tala. What, what's going on? It's extra, it's a standing area, is it? Uh, no, they're building a north stand. F- and that'll be fully seated as well. Fully seated as well, yeah. I assume it'll be fully seated. I don't think anyone's building uh, terrorists at this stage. So, um, yeah, it'll be it. Imagine this in Ireland, Jerry. You've never seen the likes of it. A stadium with four sides to it that all look the exact same. <laughs> Incredible. We actually haven't. I, I know. Uh, so, for, uh, for uh, yeah, so the stadium, the uh, Women's Cup final is on um, Sunday week. And uh, as far as I know, that's the last game. And then it'll shut down uh, for the winter. And the new stand, I think they're hoping it'll be ready maybe for the European Games uh, next July. But it'll bring the capacity up towards 10,000. So, as I said, they're getting almost a full house when the games are on a Friday night. They'll obviously have a good bit of work to do to try and up that again by a, another couple of thousand. But it's heading in the right direction. And the facilities are good. Uh, you know, I've as I said before, I think uh, for all the League of Ireland clubs, I'm sure when the season tickets go on sale in a couple of weeks, like, it's unbelievable value uh, to buy a season ticket. So go get it, enjoy it Friday night. It's a good day out. Yeah. Uh, you, you could do a voiceover for an ad if you wanted there, Yeah, we'll Nathan. take all that cash you're making. There you go. It's, uh, that's your this week's Gillette Labs performance ranking. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette.